I hope that you are ready for this episode today because it is going to be like drinking from a fire hose of self-improvement and inspiration. Welcome back to Success in Mind. In today's episode, I'm joined by a very special guest, Sir Darren Jacqueline. From conquering Mount Kilimanjaro to overcoming childhood trauma and adversity, Darren's transformative experience and expert advice will help you to level up your own life and business. Listen in as we discuss the power of relationship building, the impact of making requests, and the value of integrity. Prepare to be inspired as Darren shares with us the keys to success and abundance in both personal and professional realms. You're listening to Success in Mind, the show for high-performing leaders, changemakers, and entrepreneurs ready to take your life and business to the next level. If you're ready for whole life success, keep listening. Hi, Darren. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad you were able to join us today. I'm grateful to be here, Terry. I'm going to jump right into your story because I, I read your book, Until I Become, and found your story so captivating and so inspiring that I I really want to start there and hear sure. from you what your journey has been like. Yeah, so I have a very interesting backstory, come up story, then success story. I grew up in a place called Swift Current, Saskatchewan, Canada, a city of less than 20,000 people in population, middle-income family. And uh, in grade one of public school, I was misdiagnosed with a learning disability and a reading disability. So it was determined by the school uh, board to put me in what we call special education or special ed classes from grade one all the way through to grade 12. And so I was this kid that was put into a small room in, in Sukkot, Saskatchewan. And I was like, why? Well, I didn't feel like I fit in there, right? It was really weird to me and awkward to me. And so I adjusted to that. And by the time I was seven years of age, I created my first business called Rent-A-Kid. And I would go out and cut grass, shovel snow, deliver newspapers six days a week, the Regina Leader Post. And I'm 51 years of age today, and my two best friends, by the time I was nine years of age, who lived in the same neighborhood as me, were still great friends to this day, 40 plus years later. In fact, I just spoke wow. to both of them just last week, because I'm about relationships, right? I'm relational versus transactional. And so I grew up, went to junior high school in Sukkot, then got into high school, uh, struggled academically the entire way. I was not good at all. I was a D student. I was somebody that was you know, clumsy in sports, not good in the school system at all. We're really good at making friends and solving problems and being resourceful and figuring things out. I was a problem solver. And so by the time I got to grade 11, uh, one day a guidance counselor and a school teacher pulled me out of class one day, out of the special education class, brought me down to the guidance counselor's office, Terry, and they said, what do you plan to do with your life if you graduate from grade 12? So I want to travel the world. I want to make a lot of money. I want to have a lot of fun, make a big difference in the world. It was never the money. I just wanted freedom. I wanted options. I wanted choices in my life. And they both looked at each other and said, well, Darren, you're never going to go to university, never going to go to college. You're probably not going to amount to much past grade 12. Like maybe get a union job or a government job or a farming job or manufacturing job, but you're not going to amount to much. And I'm just like, what do you mean? I've been knocking on hundreds of doors as a kid. Mm -hmm. I've been working at the fairs, the carnivals. I've been running my rent kid business. And, you know, I didn't know it was entrepreneurship back then. So I did graduate from grade 12 with a grade point average of 54%. Uh, I always say to people, I got my PhD, my public high school diploma when I left high school, but I was a D student. When I left school, I felt very uh, alone, very afraid, very scared. Mm -hmm. I had no direction, no focus, no purpose. I was lost. And so what I did was I went into a deep, dark hole of depression and I started to do multiple suicide attempts to end my life. And I just felt that I didn't matter. I was never good enough. I was never smart enough because I had childhood trauma from me being in special education and just feeling like nobody had my back to protect me. So here I am, this kid who felt invisible as a kid. I felt I was not good enough, never smart enough, never gonna amount to much in my life. And I had a lot of negative self-talk in my mind, Terry. I was just like a lot of chatter. And so I used to drive my car at 140 kilometers an hour or 85 miles an hour towards the telephone pole. And I do this over and over again. I used to visualize suicide. So when I see people on social media today that are in a dark place or a depression or they've got financial or relationship or business or family challenges, I, I can relate. I, I've been there. I've walked in those shoes more than once with people. And I've had some peaks and valleys and high, highs and lows in my life. And so I ended up my final attempt by driving my car. I got really scared and I said, I can't do this. So I turned around and I drove myself 
into a uh, nonprofit organization that was a 24-hour telephone crisis line. And I did a door buzzer. I rang the buzzer. Lady came to the door. And I said, I'm trying to commit suicide. She brought me in. They started to offer me counseling. This was back in the 1990s. And then from there, Terry, the lady said, you know, I want to introduce you to Dale Carnegie. Well, I, I didn't know who Dale Carnegie was. <laughs> so I went to this hotel in Vernon, British Columbia, Canada, in the Okanagan Valley, where I actually am today. Uh, I've got another property here. And um, I went to this hotel called the Prestige Hotel. And I'm walking around the hotel lobby looking for this gentleman by the name of Dale Carnegie, who's going to be one of my mentors. <laughs> And one of the hotel staff said, can I help you? You look like you know, lost, right? Trying to find out where I was going to go. And I said, I'm here to meet Dale Carnegie. Have you ever heard of the guy? She goes, well, he's upstairs in the conference center. So I go up the stairs to the conference center and I, and I go up there and this lady says, oh, you're here for the Dale Carnegie training program, the introduction to the 12-week program. And I thought I was just going to be one-on-one with Dale Carnegie. I didn't realize that Dale <laughs> Carnegie had passed away many years ago and created a legacy training development program called the um, 12-week program. And he also wrote a best-selling book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. So I went in this introduction seminar that night, and I was so moved by the positivity, the collaboration, the communication, the camaraderie. I thought, man, I want this. Like, I, I want this. I'll pay whatever price to get access to this. And so I signed up for the 12-week program. And I took this 12-week Dale Carnegie training program. And in there, I met a lady who then took me to a Toastmasters International meeting one day in the same city, yeah. Vernon, British Columbia, Canada. So I went as a guest to Toastmasters. I walked in and it's a structured, formal organization. It's phenomenal. I highly recommend Dale Carnegie and mm-hmm. Toastmasters, two outstanding organizations that had a huge influence and changed my life. So as I'm in the Toastmasters meeting, at the end of the evening, they go around and they ask the guests when they're there in the evening because we have guest name badges on, if we'd like to stand up and just say anything about our experience for the evening. So I stood up and I was so scared, Terry. I stood up in the Toastmasters. <laughs> I, I stood up. I was so scared of public speaking that I forgot my name. And I had to look down <laughs> at my name badge to actually remember my name. And a guy who was in the room, uh, Frank Kitchen, he was 94 years of age, a Toastmasters member. He's passed away now a long time ago. He said to me, young fella, that's why you need Toastmasters. Welcome to your first introduction. Mm-hmm. So I signed up. And I had people nice. who believed more than me that I believed in myself which then started to develop my self-confidence and my belief in myself. It started to change the narrative of my story that I'm not good enough. And then I started voluntarily speaking around the Okanagan Valley of British Columbia, Canada to Rotary Clubs, Women of Business, Chamber of Commerce groups, uh, different business organizations. And I developed my self-confidence and skills. And then I got a job as a telemarketer. I used to make 400 cold calls a day, 2,000 cold calls a week, calling across Canada from McLean's Magazine, selling magazine descriptions across Canada between 5 and 9 p.m. Monday to Friday. And within seven months, I was the number one telemarketer in Canada making thousands of phone calls. And so what happened was after seven months of, at this job as a telemarketer, my boss came to me, Glenn, and he said, Darren, this is a dead end road for you. We can't pay anymore. You know, you can't go any further. He said, I suggest you give your two weeks notice and you go out on your own. I said, well, Glenn, what am I going to do? He goes, well, this Toastmasters thing is working really out for you. You're speaking a lot throughout the Okanagan Valley. You're in these speaking competitions. I think you should create your own business, become an entrepreneur, a self-employed person, and you should start uh, you know, doing what we call corporate training. This is back in the 1990s, back in 1995. Yeah. So I said, well, how do I do that? He goes, go to the telephone marts, back when we used to have the bricks and mortar telephone marts, where you used to pay your phone bill in person, right? Or go there and, and, and look at the products on the store. Go in there and get a stack of telephone books and start dialing for dollars and start calling from A to Z in the phone book. You've got a lot of practical uh, experience. So I grabbed a stack of phone books and started making 400 cold calls a day, 2,000 cold calls a week. And in a five-year period from 1995 to the year 2000, I made over 100,000 cold calls on my own. And I was like, sometimes I was two, three, four, five months on paying my bills because I had a high rejection rate of what, 98% rejection rate. And um, mm-hmm. I had some challenges financially. I had an R9 credit rating. I got my car repossessed. I had to go on welfare for a few months. I ended up living in a tree house because I was homeless. I ended up being on the streets, eating my next meal of a garbage dumpster. Uh, when I started traveling, doing seminars, I was so financially broke that I would actually stay uh, in the hotel, like in the seminar room, because I couldn't afford my hotel room to sleep in. So I'd hide and sneak into the room where the flip charts and the overhead projectors and the extra storage uh, chairs were in the rooms. And so I know what it's like to have adversities and failures and challenges and have an R9 credit rating, which through Equifax and Chinese Union Credit is the worst possible credit score you can get in Canada, the United States. But I've been upside down 
choked out financially, yeah. not knowing where my next dollar is going to come from, to turning that around and achieving a lot of financial success today in my life. But I've learned what not to do in my life. And now I know what to do in terms of daily habits, daily routine, systems and processes and strategies and structure. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. Like I just, what an incredible story. And when you were going through all of those challenges and the struggles, what got you through it? Did you, did you know you were going to succeed or did you, like, what kept you going? Well, you know, what's interesting. So I used to get this magazine and I had some people that paid for the subscription for me called Success Magazine. And some people might remember success.com. It's been, this company's been around for over 126 years now. And I'm actually involved with Success uh, Magazine now uh, with EXP Realty uh -huh. and, and EXP World Holdings. But I subscribed to that because somebody paid my annual subscription. And every month, I would get a, a printed magazine mailed to me, right, with a compact disc in the middle of that. That was a huge thing I looked forward to every month. And then I was, a, I was an avid reader because when I was in school, I really struggled with was reading. I was labeled with a learning disability and a reading disability. But I would go to the public library and I would go there and I would sit in the business and financial and self-help section and just immerse myself in training development of books and audio cassette tapes in the early days. And that's what I would do is put myself into a positive environment where I felt that I could win. Like, for example, um, when I was struggling financially, I would walk around a financial district or walk past a financial services office or a company because I just felt walking by it, I felt smarter. Whenever I wanted to uh -huh. feel smart, I'd walk into a library around the law office. If I wanted creativity and imagination, I'd walk into an art gallery, walk by an art gallery. So I'd do these things. If I uh -huh. wanted to feel more prosperity and abundance, I would drive around or walk around an affluent neighborhood, right? Somebody who had beautiful landscaping. So it gives me a different visual of stimulation saying, okay, I can do this. I can become more successful because I didn't have a lot of positive role models in my life. Uh, when I was homeless on the streets on welfare, I was working for a watermelon farmer. I went and got a job as a water, with a watermelon farmer. And I was picking watermelon and cantaloupe from the fields. And then I'd go and sell on the side of the road and go to the farmer's market. And I talked about it in my book, Until I Become. And, mm -hmm. and while I was on the side of the road on the highway one day, this guy pulled up in a Lincoln Town car. And he got out of the Lincoln Town car and he had five 1,000 Canadian dollar bills. And the first time I ever saw in my life, because I only saw it on television, a Canadian $1,000 bill. I'd never seen that before. I, never, I didn't travel in those circles or grew up in those environments where anybody ever had a $1,000 bill. Yeah. It was so foreign to me. And this guy had $5,000, $1,000. I thought, wow, what's this guy do? Is he a drug dealer? Like, what does he do? Like, well, how does he generate <laughs> that kind of money? So the next day he came by and he bought more watermelon. And he came by four days in a row and was buying watermelon for me. I thought, wait a second, why is this guy buying so much watermelon and cantaloupe? Is he mm -hmm. buying our watermelon and selling it down the street? So I asked the guy if we'd go for coffee. I was flat broke financially. I had to borrow a vehicle and borrow some money to actually go meet with this guy. And when I went and met with him, he was so impressed with me. He invited me to come to his house, which he lived out in the country. Yeah. And I borrowed a vehicle. I went out in the country and this guy lived in a beautiful, big, probably 10, 10 $12,000, 10 or 12,000 foot long home. And I went out there and this guy became my mentor and he changed my mindset. It's kind of like the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki and Kim Kiyosaki. I met this guy who was a very wealthy man who had a grade three formal education and lived off his money's interest interest. And he taught me principles about integrity, about showing up on time, uh, being relational versus transactional. Um, you know, be, be become a go-giver, not a go-getter. And these life principles he taught me when I was struggling and down and out over time, when I was consistent with them, shaped my life today where I have a lot of prosperity and abundance in my life. But when I was struggling, you know, when the student is ready, the teachers appear and he appeared in my life at the right time. Amazing. Yeah. So incredible. How have, cause you know, you know, you talk about it in your book and I also am connected with you on Facebook. So I see you talking mm -hmm. about relationships and stuff a lot. How have relationships like the one you just talked about, um, how have relationships helped you to build your business? And, oh, great question. And how do you grow those relationships? Yeah. So here's something to consider. So I, I learned a lot through adversities and failures and challenges and struggles. Like, you know, I've achieved a lot mm -hmm. of success. I've been to NASDAQ in New York City three times during the closing bell. I served for 10 years on, on the board of directors of the fastest growing real estate company in the world. It was start up to over 90,000 people in 24 countries, a multi-billion wow. dollar company. But what I learned was as human beings, all we are is a network of conversation. 
So when we look at that, inside of conversations with strangers, opportunities get created. But we've got to be proactive by going out there and having conversations. Now, I had this self-image challenge growing up in my 30s and my early 40s, where I always wanted to look good and I never wanted to look bad. So I was always scared to ask people or make requests to people because I didn't ever want to look bad or look stupid or feel embarrassed. So I'm like, well, I don't want to ask. I don't want to make a request for something. I don't want (laughs) to ask somebody for something. But what I realized through a lot of adversity was that when we make a request, when I make a request, I can allow people to powerfully choose whether they want to step number one, accept the request. Step number two is decline the request. Or step number three is counteroffer the request. But for every request that we don't make, the answer is always no. So, you know, in children of masters, you go to any grocery store. I look at a family with young children when they are at the checkout of a grocery store. And when the kids <laughs> in the candy section, or the chocolate bar section, what are they doing? They go into negotiations of trying to close yeah. mom or dad on getting a candy bar or getting chocolate or getting, getting candy, right? And that's the negotiation. It's all done intentionally marketing at the checkout. So the key thing is kids have no challenge with making requests. So I thought, what if I could turn things into a game just like children? So I'll give you an example. One of the things I talk about in my books until I become is when I was a young kid, I had very low self-confidence, very low Mm -hmm. uh, belief in myself. And so I was scared of girls in school because I was in special education. I thought I was retarded. I thought I was stupid. I was never good enough, never smart enough. So why would girl, any girl ever want to associate or hang out or talk to me, right? I'm this weirdo kid in school, right? I'm not an A student or a B student. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a D student. So what I used to do is I used to take 10 Canadian pennies and put them in my left pocket secretly, Terry. And every time I'd say hello or good morning or hi or how are you to a girl, whether I knew her or she was a stranger, I would then secretly transfer the penny from the left pocket to the right pocket. And here's what I discovered. Whatever I lack in skill, I make it up in numbers. Just like when I was cold calling telemarketing, just like I was building my rent business, knocking on all the doors in my neighborhood, See if I can cut the grass, shovel sidewalks over newspapers, do odd jobs. Whatever I lacked in skill, I made it up in numbers. And then the more times I would do that, I would eventually build my confidence as a proof of concept because I built my confidence. I'm like, look, at, look at all the homes I knocked, all the doors I knocked on today, right? Yeah. And so what I realized was um, one day I was out raising money and I really learned about integrity because when I was growing up, I didn't have any integrity. And then when I got into my late 20s or 30s, I had selective integrity. It was always a hidden agenda of what's in it for me. And I would use integrity to my advantage. So I had integrity when I wanted something from somebody. What can I get from somebody? Mm-hmm. And then I really got coached and beaten up by my coaches in my 40s to realize and that I had selective integrity. I had been found out and I'd been exposed. And that was a huge breakthrough for me, which was a blind spot for me. And what I realized was one day I was trying to raise money and I flew into this city. I didn't have any money. I was up and down financially. I borrowed some money for an airline ticket for pay for my hotel. And I was wanting to raise $50,000 from this accredited investor, this high net worth accredited investor. So this is before Uber. So I get to the hotel. I'm standing in the Holiday Inn because I had free continental breakfast. And I call the guy up and I'm like, hey, can you come to the hotel and I'll buy you breakfast? I was lying. Just trying to get him to the hotel. I was lying. There's no free, there's no free. I'm not going to buy him breakfast. It's a free cotton breakfast for regular hotel guests only. So the guy's like, well, can't you just come to my office? Well, I couldn't afford a rental car, couldn't afford tr- public transportation. I didn't have the money for a taxi. And it was a few miles away from the hotel. So I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what am I going to do? How am I going to get to this guy's office? I got to pitch this guy and sell this guy because I got to get a check for $50,000. So the guy says, fine, I'll come to the hotel. He comes to the hotel. He walks in. He sees signs everywhere for registered hotel guests only. He sat down with me and he said, I only have 30 minutes with this accredited investor. So I lunge into pitching and selling him on this startup company that I'm involved with. We're about 90 seconds into it, Terry. He looks at me, he says, Darren, I need you to shut up. I'm going to walk out the door. He goes, shut up. He starts yelling at me in this this room. And he said, listen, I've had enough. He goes, Darren, I need you to stop pitching and selling me. I need you to listen. First of all, number one, I'm not going to write you a check for $50,000 a day. This is too high risk. I don't do speculative deals. Second thing is, I'm going to provide you with some value. Hopefully, it makes a difference in your life. If not, it's been a great time meeting you, and I wish you all the best in your life. It was like a punch in the face. Wow. He said to me, he said, listen, you have to understand that whenever you're dealing with somebody who's successful on the other side of the table, who is a credited investor, a high net worth or ultra high net worth investor, or somebody who's through a lot of trial and error have got to where they are, you need to understand that they do not want to be pitched or sold. They want to be educated and informed. 
He goes, right now you are repelling me from wanting to ever be around you ever again. And I just can't wait to run the door, get away from you because you're pitching and selling. He said, what you need to start doing is start to educate, inform me and show me how we can solve a problem together and how by solving the problem can serve people. And then I'd want to invest in that and write a check for $50,000. And that day changed my life because I stopped pitching and selling because I did it for so many years, pitching and selling on the telephone, knocking on doors, cold calling, meeting people, pitching and selling, to then stepping back and saying, okay, how can I build a relationship with people so they get to know me and like me and trust me? We start to build relationship equity. And if business comes out of yeah. it, great. If business does not come out of it, great. But I want to become relational versus transactional. And I was up until that point, Terry, I was a transactional person making 400 cold calls a day, 2,000 cold calls a week, transaction, transaction, right. transaction. And what I realized was I want to get away from that. So I started to start getting to know people and build relationships with people so they get to know me and like me and trust me. We built that relationship equity. And once I established relationship equity and a foundation of trust and credibility and rapport, then opportunities and money would change hands. But I was screwing it up and doing it the wrong way. And that's why I was always financially broke and always up and down and always struggling mm -hmm. to pay my bills at the end of, time, end of the month. And my credit rating was a disaster, all that stuff. So as I started to educate and inform people, things started mm -hmm. to change where people started to get to know me, like me, and trust me over a period of time. Didn't happen overnight. Then all of a sudden, right. opportunities started to come in at a higher level. And I started to attract people versus repel people because people wanted to be around me. And I learned a lot about relationships because it's, mm -hmm. because if you look at social media today, a lot of people will friend request you and then boom, right into your inbox to try <laughs> and pitch or sell you on an opportunity. Yeah. And, and, and are you attracted to repel that person? You just can't wait to delete the message. Yeah. So you get to know people. So I take a lot of people hiking these days and I do mm -hmm. hiking fundraisers around the world to build schools because on a hiking trail, first of all, when you take somebody out in the wilderness, they have to learn to trust you. Because you're taking out in the right. wilderness where all the what ifs, yeah, buts come up in the brain, right? So when you take somebody out hiking versus golfing or playing pickleball, right? You can take somebody on a golf course and they feel safe or pickleball feeling safe. But I take you out in the wilderness, yeah. people feel unsafe. You're like, oh my gosh, is there wild animals that are here? Or we have to climb a mountain. Am I going to run on water? Am I going to flip or forage or have to go to the bathroom? All these <laughs> things come up, all these what yeah. ifs, all these unknowns. So I, I use hiking today as a way to really get to connect with people. And even if people who are not even into hiking, then we'll go for a walk, but we'll do some physical experiential activity. We're breathing the fresh air. We're getting some sunlight. We're getting some, you know, great energy coming in from nature or the trees to really connect deeper with you without any distraction. So how did you, when you first made that switch from being very transactional to relationship building, mm -hmm. what were some of the steps you took or how did you even learn how to develop those skills. So what are some ways that, that we can start doing that in our own yeah, businesses and start applying that? So it's an uncomfortable exercise, but we all have an inner circle. We all have people around right. us in our inner circle. What I did is an uncomfortable exercise. I went to people who really believe in me and love me and care about me and want the best for me. I'd say, listen, can I ask you a, just a blunt, straight up question? And they're like, sure. Where is it in my life that you see that I'm aware I'm self-aware. And where is it in my life that you see that I'm unaware? That's a blind spot. Mm. Where are my blind spots that you see that I don't see? What are my blind spots? Where am I self-aware and where am I unaware? And so I get a balance of support and challenge, right? Support and challenge. Yeah. So I, I, it's balance of support and challenge. So they're gonna, here's where I'm self-aware, I get support. Here's where I'm unaware, here's the challenge. Here's your blind spot. And I would go to people and feel really uncomfortable. Sometimes I would be sweating, I'd be mm -hmm. shaking, right? And they would, some people would just be, you know, some people would sugarcoat it and kind of be really nice to me. And some people would just be straight up blunt with me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that stings, but it's true. And that's where I started to, to go. In fact, I do this now as a quarterly exercise that's in my calendar. And every 90 days, I go to people in my inner circle or people that work with me. And I say, where am I self-aware? Where am I unaware of my life? And what are my blind spots that you see? And I get feedback from people and I get the support and I get the challenge. And it's a valuable exercise, but it's uncomfortable. And it's like mm -hmm. a muscle going to the gym. You got to develop it and you build strength yeah. over time after doing it a number of times. But that's a big thing for me. It was a big breakthrough for me in my life because I wanted to look good and I didn't want to look bad. And I had this self-image and this ego of wanting to look good and wanting to impress people. 
but yet other people could see right through it. I just couldn't see through because I had such a mask and a facade on. Right. And so I really learned vulnerability and um, it was powerful for me. And so that's the key thing is where am I self-aware? Where am I unaware? Because the people around you that are around you a lot of times, they know your strengths and weaknesses. You know, I, I have a lot of people come to me all the time, Terry, and they go, uh, you know, Darren, I, I need to hire a coach. I'm like, okay. Mm -hmm. They go, well, I need to get a coach. I'll have some man call me up or email me or text me. I need to get a coach. I'm like, okay. What do you want a coach for? I need a life coach. I need a whole life coach. I want to work for my whole life. Okay, great. I said, can I ask you a couple of questions? Yeah. Are you in a relationship right now? Yes. Are you married or dating someone? Yes. I have a wife. Okay, great. Your best coach in your life is your significant other or your partner. And people, yeah. what do you mean? They know your strengths. <laughs> they know your weaknesses. They know your insecurities. They know your fears, your doubts, your worries, and they know your blind spot. The mm -hmm. question is what you're going to go out and pay a coach for. These people can give you constructive feedback when you don't want to hear it. Right? <laughs> How many times do you go to therapy or counseling and they're like, oh my gosh, my wife tells me that all the time. I, you know, walk into the counseling session, yeah. like, I heard the same stuff this, this, this counselor we're paying all this money to <laughs> is telling the same stuff to me that my wife should tell me for years. But we don't want to take the advice from people who love and care about us enough, right? Not that I'm just, yep. I'm just getting credit. I have a lot of friends of mine who are professional coaches and do it for full time living. For sure. But the key thing is, are we open to that constructive feedback? And that's the thing is that, if you want to play in a high performance level, like I'm training right now, I just did Mount Kilimanjaro earlier this yeah. year that I never thought I'd ever do in my entire life at 19,340 feet in elevation, right? Totally out of my Incredible. mindset. Check a year train. Now I'm training for January, 2025 to summit Mount Vincent, coldest place on earth in Antarctica. Okay. I'm totally reinventing yeah. myself, reinventing everything about my daily habits, my daily routines, my calendar, everything about my life, my association to what I put on my plate. Right? Like I have a, you know, I have a, I have a salad here. I have a salad. This is what I mean. <laughs> like who would ever thought that I'd be eating a salad like this with chicken <laughs> in. And then I've got a metric that recorded on an app. So I have accountability responsibility. <laughs> but friends of mine who know me two years ago were drinking, you know, all this water that I'm drinking. This yeah. has got vitamin C in it. But drinking, you know, six of these a day. I'm drinking a lot of water a day. Never thought I'd ever do that. But I wanted to <laughs> level up myself in terms of longevity and take care of my body because throughout my life, I was out of integrity with my health and fitness until one day, right. just a few years ago, I'm in Niagara Falls, Ontario, Canada, speaking at a real estate conference with 1,200 people. I'm getting dressed in my hotel room, about to go on stage. And I realized that my buttons on my brand new dress shirt are about to pop. And I'm trying to figure out in my mind how I'm going to stand on stage because they're filming me and televised on the internet, how I'm not going to blow my buttons. And I realized at that moment in life, time will either promote you or time will expose mm -hmm. you. It's just a matter of time whether you get promoted or you get exposed. At that moment, I realized I was being exposed in my life for not taking care of my health, my fitness, and my nutrition. Yeah. So what do I do? Here I am, clumsy kid in sports. I thought, I'm going to go do epic adventures, one big epic adventure a year that scares the crap out of me, but it causes me to be focused, accountable, responsible, committed, mm -hmm. and disciplined, and have to report on a daily and weekly basis to a coach or a mentor or a team of people right? And that way I'm going to do some epic adventure every year that causes me to take care of my health, my fitness, and my nutrition. So that causes Incredible. me because we'll do more for other people than we will for ourselves. And so yeah. that's why you see my social media, I'm always about building schools for the most uh, you know, impoverished children on the planet through Link Foundation and E2E, because I won't let those kids down in the village around the world. I don't want to see right. people struggling. I don't want to see people in pain or hurt, right? So what I do is I'll dedicate my life to that cause. And that's philanthropy and charity for me. People say, why are you so passionate about doing Elevate to Educate? Why are you so passionate about Link Foundation? Yeah. Go to all these schools around the world. Because it holds me accountable to not let other people down. And therefore, they right. get what they want. And I get what I want. And it's win-win. So let's go. I want to hear more about sure. Mount Kilimanjaro and your training for that. Because, you know, some people, when they'd want to get in shape physically, they might just go to the gym. But you yes. go to a whole other level. <laughs> <laughs> literally a whole other level so first of all like what is it why did you choose to climb these mountains as That's opposed true. to doing some other adventure and also what is the training like that you go through and how do you prepare mentally yeah, great for those question. challenges so i'll share with you a thing about the gym i uh up until age 48 had never been in the gym before in my life wow 51 years of age now and i drove by many times i just growing up i just did not associate it was not high on my value list to ever work out in the gym it was like an artificial environment. I, I like walking. Right. I felt incompetent. I felt like, 
well, I don't know anything about how to use this equipment or, you know, how, how you, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. It was too overwhelming for me and it was too confronting and too scary. So what happened was I went to a gym and I went to my first day gym and I'm a highly visual learner. I'm very visual. And so I will, if I go to a yoga class, I'll watch a man or woman in the class about how they're doing their technique and I'll start to model it and visualize it in my mind. So I go to a gym, I'm on the treadmill and there's this girl in front of me on a Stairmaster and, I, and she just cranks it and she's going really fast. I'm thinking, how the heck did she do that? I'm watching her technique and her strategy and thinking, wow, she's just going for it, right? She's got her music going. So I'm watching her and I speed up my treadmill. And I flew off the back of the treadmill and I broke three ribs. My first day in the gym. First day ever in the gym. Oh, broke three wow. ribs. I was flying off the back of the treadmill, but ran into a bunch of equipment, banged into a bunch of equipment behind me. And I'm laying flat on the floor and these people come running over to me. And they oh want to call 911 and bring the ambulance, the paramedics. They're like, no, no. So I end up going to the hospital, broke three ribs. So here wow. I am thinking, oh my gosh. You know, they say you go to the gym to be uncomfortable and go through pain. Well, I went through a lot of pain. I broke through ribs first day. Yeah. So when I'm there, I'm thinking to myself, do I want to come back? Then I felt really stupid and felt embarrassing. Man, if I come back here, people are going to remember me as a guy flying off the, the back of the treadmill. And so what happened was I went to a gym again with a couple of people. And then they were more about taking pictures and doing selfies or social media than actually doing high intensity training. So I yep. called up a couple of friends of mine who I saw on social media that were out hiking. And I thought, I can go hiking. So I went on a hike with him. There was no like a 45 minute to an hour hike that kids in elementary school could go hiking. So Terry, I go on this hike with two real estate agents. I'm going up the thing. I'm stopping and going, stopping and going. I'm out of shape. I'm out of breath. It took me two hours and 40 minutes to get to the top of this hill, this bunny hill. Okay. I get to the top. The two people I'm with have to head off to go do open houses because they're real estate agents. They leave me at the top. I am scared and terrified. I'm totally out of breath. Totally exhausted. Yeah. And I think to myself, I got to get back down to my car before it gets dark. And I don't want to call 911. I don't want to call the fire department or call search and rescue because I'll feel stupid and embarrassed coming up on this little bunny hill, this little hike that elementary school kids could do. So I sat there and I talked myself into going back down the hill. I get back down the bottom of the hill. I get into my car. I sit there I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like exhausted. This is like four or five hours later, right? <laughs> I get there and I said to myself, I don't want to live my life this way anymore. I got so disgusted with myself, Terry, at that moment by my disgusting self to myself because most people will not make a change until they're in the crisis. Yeah. At that moment, I realized what I, I, I need to change my life. I need to level up and skill up. So I made a decision from that moment on, I was going to commit one hour a week to start hiking. This is just a few years ago, okay? One hour okay. became two hours. Now I hike on average of about 50, 60 miles 80 to 90, 100 kilometers a week consistently. I'm obsessed Amazing. with hiking. Okay. Then what happened was about 18 months ago, I have a friend of mine who was following me on social media, on Facebook, like you do. And he started to see me document my journey of me releasing 43 pounds in weight from hiking. I, I dropped 43 pounds in weight wow. from consistently hiking. Okay. And, um, you know, trails when I started today, they're just a warm up for me now. But before, like I would, I would stress and think, oh my gosh, I'm going to climb this hill that would, the averages could do it in 40 minutes an hour. Man, that would, I was thinking in my mind, like, I'm like, I'm going to be able to get back. And so what happened was a buddy of mine called me up. He says, hey, Darren, I'm turning 40 in July of, you know, in, in 2023. He goes, would you consider in July of 2023 to climb in Mount Kilimanjaro? I said, absolutely not. He goes, <laughs> what, why don't you take yourself out of the game? I said, listen, I'm not an athlete. I don't have the genetics. I don't have the DNA. I'm not wired that way. He goes, I see what you're doing with these hikes. And I think you could train for it. You've got to train for it. So he enrolled me into doing it, even though it was a hard no. And I, and I thought, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to throw my head over the fence. I'm going to train for it. And I'm going to do it. It was the most challenging, physically emotional thing I ever did was climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. But mm -hmm. it, it built my self-confidence and gave me a new perspective on life of taking care of my my human body just needs to realize that when my body wanted to quit, my mind still wanted to go. And I, when I got to the top at 19,340 feet, the rooftop of Africa in Tanzania, East Africa, on July 14th of 2023 at 7.20 a.m., I know that dates like somebody knows they're, they're, when their son or daughter is born because it was a milestone event for me. I realized, wow, what I'd accomplished. But the cool thing about it also was, Terry, was the outpouring of people from around the world who've known me for many years and some just started following me. Uh, people I've known for many years who knew that I was not the athletic guy. I was not the sports guy. I was quite clumsy. 
and how much of an inspiration and ripple of impact that I had on people's lives around the planet. And I encouraged many people to get off the couch into action, into fitness clubs and into gyms and yogas and Pilates and stuff of like this. And I created this movement. And then when I came back to Vancouver, Canada from doing Kilimanjaro, I had all these people through social media and people in Vancouver wanted to start coming out hiking with me. And then we started collaborating on the hiking trails. Nice. We were like, oh my gosh, Darren, you and Tatiana have this international foundation called Link Foundation. Why don't you start doing a hiking for a cause, like a hikeathon where people come out, they pay a registration fee, they get corporate sponsorship, you do an event for a few hours, you raise money that they get tax receipts, that money then goes to oh, build cool. a school. So this is how this all unfolded, was through my crisis of wanting to release weight and get in better shape. Now I've created something called E2E mm -hmm. Elevate to Educate, where people can go to hikingfundraiser.com, right? And they go to hikingfundraiser.com and we list different hikes throughout North America. And then people come out and they hike, yeah. they connect, they network, they collaborate. And the money we raise from that then builds a school for some of the most impoverished children on the planet. And it's, it's a great humanitarian Incredible. project. And people are so enriched. They have so much joy and fulfillment and fun and laughter. And people are creating incredible memories and experiences. And people are coming together as strangers and connecting now through social media because they're now involved in the humanitarian project of serving other people and creating a ripple of impact in helping the most impoverished children on the planet to have an education as a next generation. That's incredible. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. So what are, um, what are some of the habits that you've adopted and, and practices that you have every day that keep you going and helps keep you focused? Great questions. So what I do every day is um, read 10 pages a day of a good book. So whether it's if you read or listen mm -hmm. to audio, because a lot of people listen to audibles today. So when I grew up, I had a learning disability and a reading disability. I was labeled that in school. So I always struggled in school with reading, right? Very short attention span, was not good at reading, had limiting beliefs around that, had some childhood trauma because I was told by teachers I'd never amount to much and never be able to read. So what I do is yeah. I read 10 pages a day. Now it's easy to do and it's easy not to do. But if you take 10 pages a day times 365 days in a calendar year, that's 3,650 pages. You don't realize right. it's just 10, 10, 10 pages a day. So what I do is I do daily, small, daily, consistent, actionable steps consistently compounded over a period of time. So I read 10 pages a day. Every day I journal, right? So I write things out in my life and I also have a journal. I also, what I do too, is I have my top 10. So I have over 7,000 written goals right now for my life. And my goal is to get to 10,000 written documented goals. And I've worked, worked on this for years. Achieve them, check them off, write wow. new goals on. I'm always writing, checking goals off. And I like to write things down on paper because it's like a, it's like a legal contract. When you write it on paper, mm -hmm. you believe it more to be true because it's written, it's documented. Right. Papers is in our head. And so what I do is I have written goals. But then what I do is on the 7,000 written goals, every year I take 10 goals and I turn them into personal promises to myself. What do I give my word to? Nice. What do I promise? Because when I say it's a goal, I give an examples. So one of the things I do every day now is I exercise. Since climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, I now exercise two hours a day, right? So I, I hike almost every yeah. single day, rain or shine, no matter what the weather is. And I took it from having a goal of two hours a day to now becoming a standard. It's not a should, it's a must, uh, it's a standard, yeah. okay? So when people say, you know, I'd love to uh, read my children's story time every day, but I've got a busy life, got a busy household. If you make it a standard that every day it's a standard, it's a non-negotiable, it's a daily non-negotiable, then over time it becomes a habit. So I change my goals to standards, right. okay? Different mindset. And then what I do is I have my top 10 personal promises every year. And then what I do is every day in my journal, I handwrite out my personal promises. Okay. I handwrite them uh, out. And I then like what I that. also do too, I think I have it right here. Uh, do I have it? Uh, no, I don't. It's upstairs. Um, I have another thing. I have laminated my top 10 personal promises. And I look at it multiple times a day. So my, my personal promises are my goals, right? I look at them every day. So if you see on my social media, like what I do is I have, for example, I have a picture. So like on my, my app, this is my picture of my dog, but every hour yes. I have a different picture pop up on my iPhone. Okay. How oh, cool. And so I have my goals of things I want to achieve. My, so I have a picture of my ideal body 
of what I'm working towards is the, the future self of myself. Every three hours, it pops up on my iPhone of what my future self of my nice. body is, looks like. So it's always pulling me towards my standards and my goals and my dreams of who I want to become. So these small, daily, consistent, actionable steps consistently come out over a period of time and shape who I am. So I read every day, right? 10 pages a day. I exercise yeah. every day. I journal every day. I do a meditation for seven minutes every morning. That's in a, it's a recurring uh, meditation every day in my calendar that a friend of mine gifted me who's very big nice. into meditation. And I listen to it for seven minutes every morning. It's about gratitude and self-love because one of my things I really haven't working on my life is that one of my limiting beliefs is that I don't feel I'm worthy of love. That's what mm -hmm. my mind chatter, my self-talk mm -hmm. says from childhood is that I'm not worthy of love. So what I do is I, when it comes in, I'll self-sabotage uh, intimate relationships around me because I feel that I'm not worthy of love. That voice or voice come in my head that I'm not worthy of love. So I work all the time on vulnerability and authenticity and realize, okay, where am I worthy of love? So I have a meditation every morning for seven minutes to constantly keep reminding me that I'm worthy of love. So I have that Thanks. internal dialogue constantly going, that I'm, I'm worthy of love. Because we all have it as, as a human being, whether it's not smart enough, not good enough, not worthy enough. Um, we all have this, this story from our childhood. I was um, talking to someone recently, I won't mention his name, very famous mm -hmm. musician, well-known person. And he was telling me that um, he realizes now as he's gotten older and he's been a celebrity for many, many years, very famous, very well-known globally. He was saying, Darren, imagine being a young boy and you become a celebrity at a very young age. You're on TV all over the world, the paparazzi, the media. And every day you go to work, which is your artist, to perform and, and create music and perform music around the world and your music and live concerts and movies and all that stuff. And people play it all the time. It's all over the world. And every day you go to work, at the end of your work, you get a stand ovation. So you, you do 200 concerts in a year, and now you're getting 200 stand ovations a year. And then one year you don't go off the road. And he goes, COVID-19 was devastating for me because mm -hmm. I never went on the road to travel because of the lockdowns. And he goes, I went into a deep, dark depression and almost started yeah. going to drugs and alcohol. And he said, you become addicted. He said, at least I did. He said, I became addicted mm -hmm. to having that stand ovation of people cheering you and taking pictures and autographs. And you, everywhere you go, people want to meet yeah. you and you become this celebrity and it becomes a part of you as your identity. And so I realized in my life, even when I was traveling the world, doing all these corporate training seminars, training a hundred thousand people a year, my identity became that way. And people said, why don't you ever want to become more well-known or famous? I like to be low profile, high impact. People say, why do you want to become low profile high impact? Because I've, I've been out for dinner with celebrities in California and Los Angeles like well-known celebrities yeah. and, and I went for dinner with them and, and the, the dinner is constantly disrupted with people coming up for selfies and autographs and right. wanting to talk to them. I thought, do I want to live my life this way? Do I, how am I going to be able to manage a successful relationship when I'm out on a date night and I'm constantly being mm -hmm. bombarded by people? Is that, is that a quality of life? Is that the return on life and return on energy I want for my life? Some people get off of that. Yeah. I'd rather be low profile, high impact. I love that. I think that's great. Um, yeah. If you had to do it all over again, if you had to start from scratch tomorrow, is there anything that you would do differently on your journey or, I feel like, or would you change anything? Number one, keep my, keep my word. If I start all over again, realizing in the early days, I never kept my word. I was not reliable. Right. I was not consistent. Um, I'd show up late and they'd be disrespectful. Um, so number one, yeah. my word is my world. So I would do it all again is that realizing that my word creates my world and that uh, like you and I could meet 20 times and 19 of the times I'm early and on time. That one time I'm late, I'm forgiven because I have a consistent track record of always being early and on time. So yeah. the key thing is what I do is I live by my calendar. So in my calendar, mm -hmm. I always say if it's not structured in my calendar, there's no evidence that exists in my life. And then what's in my calendar, I have email and text message reminders. And then I also, every day, I go to my phone. And as you can see, I have alarm set. Oh, yeah. So I, wow. I have alarm set for everything in my day. I have alarm set. So what happens is I'm always on time and always in place. So if I have to be at a meeting, there's transition time, a couple minutes. So that way I get become, so if I had to go back into my life, I'd realize that um, number one is my integrity. Because without integrity, nothing works. Mm -hmm. There's no workability. 
Second thing is, I make a lot more requests. And what I realize is that when we make a request, people either will accept, decline, or counteroffer. And something I always share with people is like an exercise is number one is, uh, if people are open to this, it's like a bonus opportunity. Number one is take a look at your life, like an audit of where am I not requesting in my life? This is something I do all the time. It's a question. I have two questions. Number one is, where am I not requesting in my life? And take a look. Whatever area where you have a loss of power or freedom or self-expression is where you're not requesting. So it could be around finance, it could be around your health, it could be around date nights, it could be around relationship, it could be around building a business. It feels like, man, I'm really struggling to build my business. Well, are you asking for recommendations or, or endorsements or referrals, right. right? So where am I not requesting in my life? So question number one is where am I not requesting? And take a look. Where are you not requesting your life? Second question is, who do I become when I'm not making requests? So just notice the behavior. Notice your actions. Notice your character. Because behavior never lies. Who do you become when you're not making requests? Are you expanding or contracting? Are you coming from abundance and prosperity or lasting scarcity? Are you being stingy? Are you being generous? Are you being contribution? Are you being a go-giver or go-getter? Because I find when people are not making requests, th- their life is not being fulfilled with a lot of prosperity and abundance. Because people want to contribute. Yeah. People want to give. People want to make a difference. Right? We're taught as children, right. don't talk to strangers. Well, yeah, strangers have everything we want, need, and desire in our lives. And so the mm-hmm. thing is, strangers, when we talk to strangers, opportunities live inside of talking to strangers. Now, you got to trust your intuition or trust your gut. you got to trust and also verify and do your due diligence. And go through discovery process of people, do your due diligence, but also get the chance to meet people. There's no shortage of people on the planet. So when people say, my gosh, I want to make more money, well, go serve more people and solve more problems. By solving problems, you can make more money. So go solve more problems. Find out what people want. When you watch the news media, don't watch it as a sign of getting depressed, but watch it as a look at what you, this is your to-do list. Because this is where the masses of the population right now are struggling. Oh, yeah. And how can you serve the masses by solving the problem? So when people are complaining mm-hmm. in the place of work in the coffee shop or people complain in the, in the, in the lunchroom at, at work, they're complaining all the time. They say, okay, great. How can I turn these crises into opportunities? Another thing what I realized in my life growing up, if I was to turn the clock and go back again, number one is I wouldn't do it by myself. I would build teams mm-hmm. much earlier and much faster. Because what I realize is that most of my goals and dreams do not require my action. I'll say that again. Most of my goals and dreams do not require my actions. It's all about creating teams and teamwork. I have over 7,000 written goals. And people say, oh my gosh, Darren, how are you ever going to achieve over 7,000 goals in your lifetime? I say, no, I don't have to. Because most of my goals and dreams do not require my action. We have artificial intelligence today. We have technology. We have virtual assistants. We have apprenticeship programs. We have uh, youth leadership programs. You can get college universities of people to come do practicums and work experience. You can get volunteers. There's multiple different ways that you can get people to help you to actually fulfill on achieving your personal personal goals and dreams. Incredible. Well, Darren, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I know I've learned a lot from you. In these 45 minutes, I know that everyone listening has learned a lot from you. And um, do you have any final thoughts or last words of advice that you'd like to share before we close up? Yeah, for sure. Remember in your life, never assume you're not being observed. Mm-hmm. Never assume that you aren't being observed. And if right. you're struggling right now or you're thriving, whatever's going on in your life, never assume that you're not being observed. People are always watching, they're always observing, whether you're online, on social media, on the internet, or you're offline. People are always watching and observing. So the key thing is, is always be your word because in life, time will either promote you or time will expose you. It's just a matter of time whether you get promoted or you get exposed. If you remember that time will either promote you, time will expose you and never assume you're not being observed. People are always watching and observing you. So not embellishing things, not exaggerating things, being honest, being integral. Being your word, being consistent with that is so important because behavior never lies. And I wish I would have known that earlier in my life because it was a blind spot to me. Mm -hmm. Because as I got older and I made a lot of mistakes and a lot of adversities, a lot of failures, a lot of challenges, I could avoid and mitigate a lot of those challenges and setbacks 
and financial pressures, if I just would have, somebody would have confronted me at a younger age and said, Darren, you're not being a man of integrity. You're not being your word. Right. And that would have just completely disrupted my life. And I would have, of course, corrected myself. Right. Yeah. And so that's a big thing for people is realizing that never assume you're not being observed and time will either promote you or time will expose you. It's just a matter of time. Thank you for that. My pleasure. And where should people go to learn more about you or connect with you on social media? Where, yeah. Where should you can go? always Google my name, Sir Darren Jacqueline, or you can go to hikingfundraiser.com. Hikingfundraiser.com is kind of our main site Perfect. and all the information is there. You can find me and links to everything that we're doing with social media. And if you want, come out to uh, one of the E2E Elevate to Educate hikes sometime. You'll meet some great yeah. inspiring people. It's a great community of like-minded people. It's a lot of fun and we make a big difference. And uh, the thing is, just, just be, I'll warn people that when you leave, you're going to multiply and expand your energy. So just be mindful that that's one Amazing. of the side effects is that you will multiply and expand your energy come out to one of our hikes because it just magnifies your energy. So if you're low on energy or you want to multiply or have more energy for your life or your relationship or your kids, your family, come out with us and we'll multiply and expand your energy. We'll give you a better return on life and a better return on energy. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. I'm grateful to be here and be in service. Make sure that you check out hikingfundraiser.com. The link will be in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, if you got something out of it, share it with a friend who you think could also benefit from listening to this episode. And as always, please leave your five-star review on whatever platform you are listening on. And if you're a fan of Success in Mind and you want to have sneak peeks, insights into these interviews, if you want to be invited to be a live audience member on upcoming episodes, then you need to join my live broadcast channel on Instagram. You'll find it at the Terry Holland on Instagram. I'll link that in the show notes as well. Thanks again for being here today. And I hope you have an amazing week. Bye for now.